feels like it's been ages since we've recorded a podcast, but for everybody listening, it's just been a week, hasn't it? It's just clockwork. <laughs> it's the benefit of podcast line. Backloading, you're recording. Front loading, you're backloading. Recording. Yeah. Fr- yeah, front loading. Backloading would mean we were late all the time. Which we we have been in the past, and it was stressful. Being yeah. like, right, we need a podcast for tomorrow. Some people do like you know. So some podcasts I listen to, they like they want to talk about what's happened in the last week, like current affairs last week, and so mm. I think they record it on a Monday and release it on a Tuesday. As long as it's every Monday, but it's it's the ten pancakes a day, isn't it? You miss a day, and you screw twenty pancakes. Well. You've not released your podcast on Tuesday, have you? Better in some ways for trend jacking, if you want to talk about things that are act- actually topical. Because otherwise, mm. like us, we'll release something and it'll be like, so Boris Johnson's just been elected as <laughs> the prime minister. Well, let's say we were doing a snooker podcast. I say this was all about snooker and the finer points of snooker, which you and I know, I imagine between us, we maybe know like we could maybe write 100 to 200 words about snooker at a push so we don't know much about snooker but let's say we were running a snooker podcast i feel like a lot of that content is like the snooker matches that happened the snooker contests (laughs) (laughs) it's about the snooker that's happened over the last week right or the last it's about the snooker happening now we couldn't just do a podcast that was just talking about snooker and the theories of snooker because that would get really boring i imagine so it has to be somewhat current. Yeah. Well, don't worry, because next year, in real terms, we're going to be talking about how Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. <laughs> Everyone will be like, "That's true." We again. did do that, didn't we? We did do that. So there's two thing, two items of small talk I want to talk to you about. One of them is a um, training discussion, and the other one is a productivity point. Okay. So here's an example of a current event. So a week ago, when did we get Liverpool? Two weeks ago. Okay. Problem is these time references get so meaningless. But for our, conversa- our conversations, happen- for you and I, this is happening right now. And I think we have to keep this as functional as we can. Because if I start referring <laughs> yeah. to Liverpool... Have to operate as if we are speaking to each other now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And these aren't two separate pre-recorded videos, the audios that have been mashed together to make it sound like we're talking to each other now. Because <laughs> if I started saying that, like, I remember last year when we went to Liverpool, you'd be like, what? What do you mean? Two weeks That's ago... Because we're we... so organised that we've got 52 episodes of podcasts in the bank and we're just really good at predicting what might happen in the future. Mm-hmm. So like the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing, Guess. that hadn't actually happened on, at the time of recording, but we just saw it playing out in our minds. So we thought probably going that way that'll probably happen um we're on the train back from liverpool maybe you're on the train there i can't remember but i said to you that i was going to try which is linked to the sort of using your calendar as a to-do list conversation if you haven't heard that episode go back and listen to that to know not now listen to the rest of this episode but after this go back and listen to that one um if you haven't already so i said to yourself on the train i'm going to try using my I'm going to try, like at the start of the day, taking my to-do list and blocking it out on my calendar and see how I do, which is like halfway between how I manage my tasks and how you manage your tasks. I think it's probably closer to what you do, isn't it? In reality. Um, It's been going really well. Wow. Yeah. That is good. So the the process, partly borrowed from Ali Abdal, is... I have my things with all my stuff in, which, as we've discussed before, can be quite overwhelming. Because, like, you open it and you're like, oh, God, there's like 40 things in there that could be today or this week. So I get a piece of paper and I write down on the piece of paper, like, just the things that I'm going to do today. So that's the first thing. So I have things open and I look at things. I look at today's view. I look at this week and I, I like, right, these are the five, whatever. These are the five things I'm going to do. And then I guess how long each one's going to take me. And this is, the, this is the key bit. Whatever my guess is, I have to add half an hour to it. Hofstadter's law. Is that a thing? Hofstadter's law. We talked about this last week. So this is one of those things where I thought I've had this idea 
but actually you told me I've forgotten. <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, isn't that clever? So Hofstadter's Law, whatever that is, the thing that I've thought I came up with on my own. Um, yeah, so I, I add 30 minutes to it. Then I take those things and I put those things on my calendar around like the calls and the meetings throughout the day. And what's the result is like yesterday, I actually did everything and an extra thing. Today, I've only got one thing left to do. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. And it's so simple. But I, I, I just operate off a piece of paper all day. I feel like this is something that in like 1990, everybody did. And I'm like, wow, paper, paper and a pen. Who would have, <laughs> who would have there thought? There just wasn't as much stuff to do in 1990. But yeah, the, so Hofstadter's Law is, for those who didn't hear the calendar to-do list episode, and for the sake of Johnny, who has already... For, forgotten. Forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> is that a task will take 50% longer than you anticipate it taking, even when you account for Hofstadter's Law. Uh, oh, now I remember. Now I remember. So I thought you were saying the 30-minute thing was Hofstadter's law. Hofstadter. Hoffs, Hoffs, yeah. Hofstadter's law. Right. So it's not, I suppose I'm not exactly applying it. I'm not like 1.5 timesing it and then 1.5 timesing that again. But still, it's you, you, you bang on that the expectation of a task, like we just assume that we're like, we're superhuman or we'll double up tasks in our list. And you're like, you're looking at it and you're like, well, there's no way that I'm going to be able to script that while training while also doing an interview for this person like yeah but they're in the filling the same time box it's it's kind of like a bath you've just got a bath full of water if it overfills it goes onto the floor and that's stressful for everyone <laughs> you've got the plug which is how fast the water can drain out of the bath now you've got a few options you can either slow the filling of water you can make sure that only the prime mineral filtered water goes into the bath so you don't put as much water into the bath in the first place or you make the plug bigger which is quite hard because then really that's hiring someone to make a new plug so then you've got two plugs and two exits of water so software and team is a bigger plug isn't it yeah is that right systems software team because you can't you can't maybe just that, add more maybe time. that's a bigger bath no, that doesn't feel right, does it? How does this fit in with the boat analogy from the other episode? Is this the same thing? Oh, it's just it's the bath bit in reverse, isn't it? Because <laughs> you're not trying to scoop water out of the boat. You're trying to get it to go down, aren't you? Down and away. But it, I really hope that an experienced nautician <laughs> can get Is in touch a, with us. A boatist. A boatist, yeah. A boater. Sorry, boat is the correct term. Um, <laughs> we'll get in touch with us and say, excuse me, guys, I'm a professional level three boatist and you've got some of these terms. You got that naughting wrong. So the interesting thing is, so I have like a, my like daily workflow. This is the things that I have to do every day, which is like the, you know, people say the working on the working in your business. Like these, this is my like working in the business. It's the things that I have to do, like the checklist I have to go through each morning and each day. And for the last, so I've done this for about a week. And up until today, it's so embarrassing. Up until today, I would write that down and I'm like, that'll take me two hours to do. I take that thing, I put the two hour thing at the start of my day. And the two hours goes by and I've done the first, so it'll be like six things on that checklist. And I've done the first two of them. All right. Mm. And I'm like, oh yeah, but I, I just got a bit distracted. It's my fault. Tomorrow, I'll catch up. I'll tomorrow it'll be, yeah. it'll take me two hours. So the following day, two hours block that on my calendar almost a week later so this morning <laughs> wrote down two hours got to the end of my two hour block i'd done the first two things again crossed it out and wrote twat <laughs> beneath it and then folded over the page and wrote three hours next to it for tomorrow but that's interesting because i've learned that like I've, I've had to give in to the fact that no matter what sort of hacks and blockers and all these things that I try and do. Pomodoro is not Pomodoro. It's like it just does not, just cannot be done in two hours. It's because I, you've got such a strong Sigma mindset that you've got so much self-belief that you know that you can get it done in that time, even in the face of reality. Adversity, yeah. Or I'm just a moron. <laughs> One of the two. But, but you added 50% and then it worked. Yeah. 
I think, yeah, so the, I think the, the lessons from it are, so far anyway, um, you can't, you can do hardly, you can get nowhere near the amount of things that you think you're going to be able to do done in a day. And then secondly, there's no better feeling in like self-management when it comes to like deciding what you're going to do than having crossed everything off and getting to pick a bonus thing. And this is like the the like the thing that's so frustrating about all of it because you just go, it's like the bath analogy, right? There's just an amount of water that can go through the plug hole. You can just do an amount of things in a day. It doesn't matter how many things you write down. You're going to do an amount of things. So why make that disappointing? <laughs> like yeah. endless, there's no like yes, if you get to the end of the like really ambitious to do list once or twice a month, great, you'll feel great about that, but. What, imagine if every day you're like slightly exceeding your expectation. Fantastic. What, what a way to go into the following day. So the book, 4,000 Weeks, covers this exact thing. Right. It's, so it says even the retiree who has nothing to do really still has the same sense of existential overwhelm, but it's the content that differs. So retiring is less satisfying than it seems if you don't get rid of that fundamental sense of the the bath and trying to get drain more water than's actually filling up and so as you say trying to bully time just makes time bully you back so what's the what's the takeaway from that then lower your expectations be realistic i suppose be realistic learn to sit with the anxiety and resist the urge to try and fit more in to try and think that we're superhuman and just accept that there's only so much we can do in a day the the other problem or that there will always be more things than you want to do and even as he said even a life exquisitely lived is still saying no to a thousand alternatives that could have been lived yeah it's it's a really annoying book to read because you're just like and he gets yeah, it as well he's like, yeah. he's like i tried vas and pomodoros and cold turkey and blah blah blah, blah. and you're like ah oh, okay so he's not just like a philosopher he's someone who's really tried to bully time <laughs> and lost and cares yeah. so much about it. he's written a book and he goes into things like the efficiency trap so the, the fact that you've got infinite input and finite output, which I guess is the, the bath. Mm. I would add something to the bath. I don't know how to explain that. I suppose like a ball pit where it's not just water. <laughs> with a boat in. Yeah, but <laughs> with a boat in. Because water drains in kind of water's all one thing. You add more water and it becomes part of that water. A ball pit, like the balls at the bottom will have to drain before the balls at the top. And so if you go in and you just like shuffle the balls around which is what I do every morning. <laughs> you end up just draining it like a couple of random ones out the bottom of the plug, but not necessarily the ones that you need to the most. Yeah. And then you get good at email, brings in more email. So your reward is that you become a reservoir for other people's priorities. And so he just says it's totally irrational from a logical perspective to think that you can ever get more done in the time that you've got i think the thing that i would recommend so the i think the only thing i do that you, i don't think you do which i think it helps this process is before you drag things onto your calendar for the day force yourself to like write them down and then drag them onto your calendar because i think mm. it helps you like that's the that's the catching yourself as you're about to like dive into the ball pool and just sort of like splash around for an hour that's like right well this ball and this ball, and yep. this ball. And like, can I fit any more balls? No, probably not. I'm just going to use these. And then you just operate off your calendar for the rest of your day. You don't have to look at anything else. You so just, that, like, what that's doing is introducing a second check, isn't it? Because past you said, oh, you should do this task on this day. But then when you wake up and now it's present you on that day, and you, you, you want a second check to be like, oh, actually, is that really the most important thing that I need, I need to do right now or not? Yeah, because the past you doesn't know about all the things that's happened like overnight that morning, but also like how tired you are or if you've got other meetings that happen or I just, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how difficult it is, I think. But it's I think it's hard because the, the thing that I struggle with is I, I plan my day out and I, I'm sure you have this. It's like why I can't write training for myself because I'll write my like four day split 
And I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, but what about this exercise? Oh no, but I can't miss this out. Oh, and I'll need to add this in as well. And before you know it, you've got an exercise program that's completely unrealistic, that's way too high volume, that you'll maybe you stick to. a training session that takes you four hours because right. it's got all the like rotator cuff things mm -hmm. and the forearm work at the end. And <laughs> yeah, because you, you, you can't just have one bicep exercise, you need two. We're not going to hit the long head, is it? So, and then, well, I don't want to skip toe day because people on Instagram will make fun of me. So, it, so final quote from that book, just because it's very relevant to creating that workout plan, is it is irrational to feel troubled by an overwhelming to-do list. You'll do what you can, you won't do what you can't, and the tyrannical inner voice insisting that you must do everything is simply mistaken. We rarely stop to consider things so rationally, though, because that would mean confronting the painful truth of our limitations. Just reading that book just stamped the word twat on my mm. forehead. I think the only limit to it is i suppose it depends who reads that it's like the um there was something that mike Toucher said about like you you show the statements to people like you're doing too much training you're not doing enough training or whatever like the one mm. that you think you need the one that you read and you think you identify with is probably not the right sentence it's probably the opposite so like i think you and i both would read like you're not doing enough work and identify with that rather than like you need to be more realistic in your expectations i think if you show show the person who's like prone to slacking not really working that book of like look it's okay just you can only do this much work don't worry about it be more realistic they'll be like yeah it's right man i'll just i'll just chill and not bother so that that yeah i feel like that's maybe the only limitation to it that your self-assessment is probably not accurate just just that if someone if someone does need to be told like you can do way more than you expect in a day and you're just being lazy i think being told that like they need to sort of lower their expectations and accept they can't do everything is probably not the narrative that person that person needs to be told yeah some people can just get more efficient mm -hmm. um it's it's like telling someone who has a 100 kilo deadlift that they've hit their genetic limit and they go oh thank god okay yeah or like if you like getting getting a bigger deadlift from that like you might hurt your back so don't bother and it sort of like constrains them in this when actually there's so much more potential there if they just kept going which well, leads me on to the second thing i wanted to talk to you about oh which is i've been doing so i've now done a week and a half of the rp strength templates strength template so this is I'm so excited about this you did just it for, for context for for people, can you explain this this radical discovery and shift in your sure. training direction? So it links to going to Liverpool. <laughs> so um, I've been having this like to and fro, um, like mental battle with myself for quite a while now where like I haven't competed in powerlifting for a long time, um, since like 2019 actually. I tried various other training methodologies. I tried CrossFit, I tried a little bit of bodybuilding for a while. Um, and the only thing that I was able to really be consistent with was powerlifting training so i've just continued training like a powerlifter kept getting little niggles joint pain so sort of not really enjoying it but just trying to tick the box went to when we went to liverpool to do a podcast with chris brown we went into this ridiculous gym that had loads of, loads of equipment and i just messed around for an hour with yusuf and chris and for the first time in like possibly years i came out of that and i was like wow that was fun I was like, God, I've never, I can't remember feeling like, like feeling like that about, about training for ages. Um, and so I was like, right, that's it. Like I've had, I've had, I've had looped back to this thought pattern too many times. I'm going to stop powerlifting training for a while. I'm just going to do full bodybuilding training and just, or like not to become a bodybuilder necessarily, but just a completely different focus. Yusuf not that long ago had completed the, the Renaissance periodization physique, one of the physique templates. Is that right? Yeah. Do you do the full thing? Do you do all four tabs on the spreadsheet? I think I have done it one and a half times. Ooh. Because I ran it for a year. Hell. Pardon? You ran it for a year? Yeah. As soon as the gyms opened, I just... Just went RP. Did it? Just went yeah. Mike Isretel. <laughs> um, so that's what I've tried doing. But the thing I wanted to talk to you about was, <laughs> there's a there's something that mike t mike t mike isretel has built into the spreadsheet which is like each time you do a session you have to rate it out of i'm worried that this is where you're going to tell me like, oh i didn't do that bit did you do that bit 
No. <laughs> From minus, is it minus one to plus one or something? Exactly. So why didn't you do that bit? Because this is my only issue with it so far. I was using Apple numbers, which I know will upset oh, you. Oh, that's such a, <laughs> such a painful conversation. <laughs> so just hang on. I just want to make sure I'm getting this right. So the 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 auto-regulatory physique template that RP Strength produce, you didn't use the auto-regulatory feature because you were using like I'm in trouble now Apple numbers <laughs> correct yeah so what did you do then like what when you went you just like progressed it by adding a rep or something or? yeah just winged it I think I just it's funny because um, what what I would describe as winging it is what like Christian Thibodeau would describe as like subjective uh, intuitive autoregulation capacity potential yeah. depends what you call it so I can't really ask you for help then, but I'll explain my uh, my grievance. So in week one, I did a high bar squat. And because I'm trying to do it like a bodybuilder and be a good boy and follow the program, I started really light, like really, really light for me. So I did 120 kilos. I really Less controlled... Less than 50% of your max. Yeah. Really controlled eccentric, pause in the bottom, really try and initiate quad drive, glute drive, etc. And to be honest, three sets of eight, followed by front squat afterwards, I was sore. Like, that was difficult. I mean, I, I find that insane. I think just for, for context, because most people might be like, oh, 120 kilos, that's like a decent weight. The prospect of Johnny squatting 120 is, it's not even end well, of the warm-ups. Yeah, so my, yeah, so it'd be like my second warm-up set. But, you know, that, that would be a low bar squat with a belt and straps and knee sleeves and all that sort of stuff. Not straps, sorry. Uh, a belt and knee sleeves. Um, not worried at all about like rep quality. I'm just trying to hit depth and get back up again without dying in the process. Whereas this time I'm really going all the way down as deep as I can, as my like structure will allow. And then really trying to squeeze my quads and treat it like a, like a leg press, right? Instead of a squat. Um, but I got to the end of the week and you then have to do another leg training session. This is such a long story. You have to do another leg training session. You have to rate at the start of that session, like, how do you feel? How do your quads feel? So I think the options are, I feel like just recovered, um, maybe a little bit sore, or I don't really feel sore at all, but I still get a pump, or I can't feel anything and I feel completely recovered. And if you say, I'm not that sore, but I still get a pump, you rate it as a one. And what that does is adds a set to the next time you train legs. So today, this evening, after this recording, I have to do basically seven sets of squats. Oh, God. So I have to do four sets of high bar squat and then three sets of front squat, six sets of calf raises, four sets of hamstring curls. And I saw that and I was like, so this is kind of okay as long as this doesn't, become like a linear cycle and it sort of like drops down and and i thought i know yusuf's done the program i'll ask yusuf i see so i i took the principle of the minus one zero and one but i just i think you've got to say like i'm not going to get silly with it and not go more than four or five sets per exercise because there's a lot of exercises so, th so the only reason it's seven is because it's four then three if that yeah. makes sense i think that'll even out as you start to add weight as well if you just give yourself a rule of when i hit 10 reps on the first set or 12 reps on the first set i'm going to increase the weight and then even if you, on the next session you get 11 7 4 fine because then you can you know you'll be sore you can re take away a set mm. and then carry on because what it tries to do is it tries to get you to like I think this week I've got to have like three reps in reserve. Last week was three reps in reserve. And then the week after that, I go to two reps in reserve. And it's not, I'm not used to the way that it's it's making me train. Mm. Um, but watch this space. Like it's, it's probably difficult because you've like, you've got an artificially low number that you're starting with. So you're a lot stronger than the the movement. So like you, you can grind out more, but at the same time, like, it's a stimulus that is going to 
Cool. I don't know. So nice because you. I don't know whether I could. So I'm quite good. I think I've I've had a lot of practice of rating like how many more reps could I do, based on sort of the the way that the set's progressing. Um, I think that's easy to do on like a an incline bench. I think it's quite hard to do on a high bar squat. Yeah, because you you probably could do like maybe two more than you think. You're limited um, more by pain than by yeah movement yeah. yeah like for a high bar squat to be like really slow um that's a fairly stressful event <laughs> but yeah where so as mike says you've got to start digging into childhood trauma and speaking to yourself in russian to get the, the next rep here's the the video they've just stuck on their youtube channels with a guy trying to beat tom platz's squat record which i think tom platz for for anyone who doesn't know who Tom Platt is, he's like a bodybuilder from like the Arnold days who I think squatted 500 pounds for 20 reps. He just loved Widowmakers, loved 20 reps as a as a range. And he just says that like people think 20 reps is kind of pissing about in the gym, but no one, just no one trains 20 reps heavy enough. Some, some of my worst memories in the gym were doing like Widowmakers with like 140, 150 yeah, it's disgusting. It's brutal. Speaking of which, we're going to go over the... We've had some voice note submissions. Much to Yusuf's excitement. Much to my excitement. So here we go. We've got three. From Adam, Daddy, and Liz. Let's begin with Adam. There's a very good story about this one, which you'll discover. Right, so my question for you is, when I speak to people that are potential clients, they're signing up nine times out of ten, I guess, because they understand the value or whatnot of what's being delivered. But I'm struggling to get enough of those people to speak to to make it a sustainable business model. Um, so the business is fine, but to grow it to the next level, I need to make that more repeatable. So where would you look to to sort of sort that bottleneck out um, and fix that? so that you can generate the leads into that position to where you're speaking to them because that's the thing that seems to be converting the best. Anyway, go for a walk. So just to play that last bit back, because he sent the message and then he followed up with a DM to me that said, oh shit, I've just ended the message with go for a walk because I'm so used to saying that on my videos. Uh... <laughs> so it was a reflexive go for a walk. Let's just hear that one more time. Because that's the thing that seems to be converting the best. Anyway, go for a walk. <laughs> I think I've seen some of his some of his content where I go for a walk is just like catch-all advice for everybody. It's very good advice. I agree, yeah. Very hard to fault that advice. Very, very difficult. Um, the question... I think the first thing I would look at is where are you currently getting the people you are speaking to from? So like the, I think the way that we view, the way we approach lead generation is sort of back to front. So once you have a sales process that works, which you have, whatever it is that you're doing, like once you know that like when I get five leads, I make one sale, for example, then you've got the sales conversion part sorted which is what a lot of people actually don't have. A lot of people have the opposite problem to what you're experiencing. Once you've got that, the, the best way to like increase the volume and the throughput, depending on how you're getting them in the first place, is to just run ads to whatever that process is. Because then it, you, you let these platforms kind of take care of that for you. And even if the conversion drops slightly on the sales process, as long as you pay less per lead than you generate per lead, or even if you pay the same as you generate, if there's a recurring offer off the back of that, then... That's a like a very profitable decision long term, but it kind of depends on how you're getting the, the like how the people you're currently speaking to. Where are they from? Do you know that? I, I imagine you don't know that. Got... So yeah, I I agree though. I think if you can replicate that process where someone comes into your world each time and they're not kind of random leads from different sources each time, mm. then. And you're converting, I mean, from what Adam said, he's converting like 80 to 90%, like really high conversion. Good mm. conversion. So in that situation, you can afford to play with it a little bit. You can afford to do things that might drop your conversion percentage in favor of getting more people in through the door. So you're clearly very trustworthy. It's that luscious Yorkshire accent. Um, so 
when that happens, it means you can throw more leads at it. You can try shortening your challenge. You can try doing things that, because you know that the trust and the credibility and the authority and all that stuff is, is nailed. So you can do things that would just increase the lead flow and just throw as many people as you can at it. Um, so you you may not need sales calls. You might, you know, th this is where if someone has, if we're working with someone who has um, a challenge operating at large scale, that's when we would start to say, okay, well, your conversion's really strong. What can we do to increase the automation level of the challenge and take the hit on the conversion so that profit still remains high or even goes up? And that's yeah. where you can say, okay, we'll just, we'll just go to an automated challenge because you no longer need the interaction and um, follow-ups and sales calls and all that stuff to maintain sales coming through the other end. So you can start to step away from the whole process and run it as an automation. Yeah, if you, and if you take that to like its extreme, right? Like the, the, the most likely way of converting someone would be to like go to the house, speak with them for an hour, Go, like go through everything in lots of detail, drop your price down. Like there's those things you can do if you want to like explore that as a mental model. Like, well, how am I most likely to get the sale? It's that. And then, but obviously there's lots of downsides with that. And equally there's lots of downsides with sales calls and DMs and all the things that sort of involve your time. If we can still get something converting at break even or profitable without your involvement at all, that is like the dream scenario because you can then start putting that time elsewhere like producing pieces of content or building automations or building other sales funnels or other products that then generate even more revenue long-term. The only, I think the only thing I'd caution against is sometimes we speak to people who say things like, oh, I convert loads of people I speak to, um, my sales process works. And what they mean is like, they'll get on a call with someone and sell to loads, like sell to a high percentage of them. But actually all those people are like word of mouth, very warm audience and like really all they had to do was like not fuck up the call and like be weird. <laughs> yeah, on the so call. they were and highly qualified leads in the first place. Exactly. And so that doesn't translate into cold ad audiences. Yeah. So it's like, so let's say, let's say you, um, you know, you're sensible and you listen to a few of these podcasts and you think I'm going to book a call with Johnny and you have to, to buy propane business. Cause obviously this would be a fantastic investment. And I, I think you should definitely do that by the way. So let's say you were going to do that. And I was like, wow, it's, it must be what I said on the phone that's, that sold that person. When actually the podcast is so good that you were sold anyway, right? As long as I wasn't weird on the phone, which I never am, by the way. So you should definitely book a call. As long as I'm not He's weird, a bit on, weird the on the phone. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's always when I finish the call, then I'm weird. Um, then, then like, it's not, it's the podcast that's doing it, right? And then you think, well, how did they find the podcast? Well, maybe it was an ad that they were running that they jumped onto the email list. And then, so actually saying, my sales process is working like really it might actually be nothing to do with the sales process you have so that's why it's so important to look at like where are these people coming from because it could be the context of, that's happening before the conversation that's making it work so scaling that up like you start throwing cold audiences into that and it might actually not work it might be what's happening prior to the conversation that is causing the sale so that's worth considering as well that's a very good point that's also probably the part that most people don't see of the business you've seen that we really go ham on the on the content and that's why we put so much effort into the content because that's really the sales process that's the nurturing bit mm. we we try and make it as fun and, and valuable as possible for you so that when we speak on the phone it's not really a sales call it's seeing if it's a fit it's seeing if we can actually help you with the problem that you've come to us with and if we can't we'll say okay sorry we can't but here are some other options or some other people that you can speak to and then obviously there's the email automations and all the wizardry that Johnny's done behind the scenes on, on that front too. And now you know how the magic trick works, but it, yeah, it, it is, you're right. Like when we do the calls we do for propane business is like a, it's more like gatekeeping. So it's like, we don't want somebody who, we don't want someone to buy the program that we can't help. Who's going to stay in the program for, for months and months and feel frustrated and feel like that it's not a fit right? And feel like, oh, well, I was expecting, it's like someone, someone buys your program and you're a weightlifting coach and they're, they're buying it because they want to improve their 5k, 5k time, right? Like that's going to be frustrating for everybody. Um, and that, that's even more and more and more likely to happen in a business situation. So that you, you right. Like we have touched the mic so many times. Um, <laughs> we, we, we don't want the sales call, sales call to be a sales call. It's like, look, 
if you need me to convince you on the phone, we haven't done our job properly. Like it's the rest of the system should have done that up to this point, which is why you book a call in the first place. And you should definitely book a call, by the way, because they're great. Um, but yeah, so Adam, <laughs> so Adam, I think it's really worth looking at maybe going back and speaking to some of the people that have bought from you and said like, what was it that prompted you to get in touch with me in the first place? Because that's the sequence that you need to double down on. Because um, if it, let's say you are doing sales goals, it sounds like he might be. Um, if I gave you 50 strangers, is the process still going to work? Pro probably not. If it's just straight to a call, which is why everyone finds that process so unpleasant and so frustrating. That's why we teach a 14 day challenge because like, how do you take a stranger and bring them to the point where they might buy from you? Like there is a process they have to go through. How do we condense that 14 day challenge? The stress testing that you've described, there's really valuable as well. So you can say, what could I take away from this sales process and for it still to work? Or for it for the how how much could I take away and still keep the conversion above fifty yeah. percent? Okay, how much could I take away and still keep conversion above thirty percent? And that's fine. You don't have to keep all your KPIs, all your numbers as high as possible because they come at a cost, don't they? So, mm. yeah. so yeah, you, you can you can test that out and say, well, if I removed the call and if I shortened my challenge and if I removed a bit of the interaction here. And if I removed a bit of this, then I freed up a bit of time, freed up a bit of money to then spend on lead flow. And then the machine works more smoothly and I get more customers in through the door, even if I take a hit on some people who would have bought, but would have needed a lot more attention and, and time to get there. You could apply the same mental model to pricing as well. I realize this isn't this kind of getting away from Adam's question, but like if you are getting, if you are converting 90% of people you speak to and no one is saying like, Mm, that's a bit much. The chances are, and I know this is a weird thing to, to think about when you want more customers in general, but the chances are you could increase your price and maybe convert slightly fewer people, but probably still generate more to total revenue. Um, so there's, it's like finding this sweet spot with your pricing where actually you're working with people who can afford your service and it's still an affordable service. But you're never going to be able to work with everybody because otherwise, like, why are you not pricing it at one pence or two pence or 50p or a pound, right? Like there has to be this middle ground. So if no one is telling you that your service is too expensive, chances are there's still some laxity in that and you could increase the price without really decreasing your revenue and increasing the, the profit and the revenue per head in your program, which means you can afford to hire coaches to support you and, and all that sort of stuff. So, and I, go. I'll go for a walk later. Me too. <laughs> Dadi has asked the following. When I heard the pizza and chicken nuggets story from the last episode, I was reminded by uh, an experience that I had a few days ago. I was out for dinner and I was going to do a pretty long run the morning after. So I wanted to have my energy stores full. So instead of ordering like one pizza with a bunch of toppings, I noticed that the margarita was uh, almost half the price. So I just ordered two margaritas and the waiters or the chefs or someone thought it was definitely a mistake because there was like four people and five pizzas. So I had to reiterate to the waiter that I actually wanted to eat two pizzas, <laughs> but I got them and I ate them both and it was great. But my question is what sort of weird social situations have you guys uh, ended up in due to weird diet choices um, connected to training? Great question. And, <laughs> and great. No, no, I will eat both pizzas. You miss it. This is a financial decision that I'm making here. To yes, you, you, did, you did hear me correctly. Leave both of them there. This is my pizza per krona decision that I'm making here. Per so you had a great one with Diet Coke when you were on a work trip, if I remember correctly. Oh, God, yeah. Good. Well remembered. <laughs> well remembered. So that was actually linked to, there's actually an Instagram photo of this for evidence. Um, so when I was an accountant, there'd be a lot of situations where like, I would have to save my macros up for the end of the day. I'd go out with the team for dinner and I'd have like a, you know, like something generic, like a Pizza Express pizza. And then you get back to the hotel and you're like, shit, I've got like 90 grams of protein, 50 grams of carbs and two grams of fat left like ridiculous macros this is like, going to be fun yeah yeah so yeah i'd like walked i was staying in this 
it was called Godalming actually. Um, and like there was very, Godalming's like a really posh town um, down south. And there wasn't anything there apart from a Waitrose, right? So I like walk the like mile to the Waitrose from where I was staying to get, I was dieting, so I was really hungry as well. So I bought a, fa, is it Fahe? Not Fadge, not Fadgy. Fahe yogurt, a kilo of it, um, a bag of fruit pastels and um, like a couple of Diet Cokes. I can't remember exactly the details of the story, but I bought a couple of like caffeine-free Diet Cokes. And the guy, as I picked up the Diet Cokes, the guy was like, oh, if you buy the like multi-pack, like the 24-pack, it's like cheaper than what you're buying now. Like we've got this promo on. And I was like, yeah, I, I appreciate that, but I'm going to have to carry them back. And like, I don't want to. And he just wouldn't let me. Like he, he just couldn't understand the that like I was happy to pay more per can to avoid having to carry the thing back. But anyway, overpaid for my for my Diet Coke, overpaid for the whole thing, got back to the hotel room, poured a percentage of the fruit pastels into the kilo of yogurt and ate it with the spoon that I had that I was given on the tray that came with like the, the kettle and the shortbread and the Kenko coffee. That was a decently weird situation. Yeah. It's it's when you you've got you have to play macro Tetris, which I think is a term that you coined around then. Might be, yeah. To fit things in. We were both going through the, like, the sort of the end phases of a diet. I think at the same time, you became obsessed with um, broccoli soup. Do you remember the broccoli oh, soup yeah. phase? So then I started having broccoli soup. Everything was like cauliflower based on pizzas and you just like, you're just desperate for like mechanical satiety. Um, and I... I was getting some like extra volume foods for that night. I was at the co-op and got myself, I mean, it sounds so pathetic even saying it out loud, but I, I got myself for like in the car on the way home because I was so hungry. I got myself a snack, which was just an entire cucumber. Um, so as I left the co-op, I was so hungry that I unwrapped the cucumber and started like just eating the cucumber like a like a Mars bar and bumped it to some people that I, that I knew. So... <laughs> Hi. <laughs> and like there's so there's just not much you can say in that kind of like quick short short like small talk conversation to make that seem remotely normal. So I can still sort of remember the it's hard to not like feel embarrassed about it because it's so strange. Um you know, well I'm dieting and because they see that and they go, Whoa, like that's really that's an odd thing to be doing. But yeah. I totally get it though. You, mm. There's a, the problem is when you're at cucumber stage of diet, you're really desperate for you do say mechanical fullness. Like yeah. you'd be standing outside the shop, just like God, just get that cucumber in me. And it's when like gherkins look really appealing because of the like the salt and the flavour and like pickles yeah. and you st like kimchi stuff like that. Like you start eating things that like now if someone put them in front of me, I'd be like, no, no, I'm okay. But yeah. That's all I want. I just bought um, 20 bottles of pop like diet drinks from oh. Aldi because they had a, a stall that was all these new flavors, which, as you can imagine, uh, pressed yeah. all of my buttons, all flavored like an old school confectionery store. So, oh, cherry God. lips flavor, fruit salad, root beer, um, black and white. You know, remember the like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh my God, the fruit salads in like, they're all individually wrapped. Yeah, like all those kind of flavours, pineapple cubes. Pear drops. Grape soda, all these kind of things. So I just had to get one of each or two of each. The trouble with that is the weight. Yeah. Because each one of those is two kilos. If it's a two litre bottle. I almost broke the basket that I was using. I had to go and get a trolley. Um, I did remember the other story, Daddy. So... Edamame beans plague me. I feel like I'm in a horror film and they just follow me around like they're the monster in the film. And no matter what I do, they just turn up like in my house and like on in your, my bedroom. On your yeah, and you're like, oh God. So if you don't know why I'm saying this, I, I did a estrogen experiment, started going down the rabbit hole of estrogen and basically saw that edamame beans are actually quite a potent form of plant estrogen. So... 
I thought, okay, I'm going to eliminate them. Started getting ready meals from the gym kitchen. Gym kitchen, if you're watching, I tweeted them and said, guys, most of the people who eat your meals will be interested in gaining muscle and losing fat. And edamame beans are antithetical to that goal. Have you considered removing them? Response, no. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got a choice because they're quite good. I love that you took it in your own hands to, to try to get them to modify their processes. Which just doesn't add anything. There's nobody that wants, that eats the gym kitchen meals and wants to be fatter, wants gyno, and wants to lose muscle. It's just on the side of conspiracy theory, though, isn't it? Like it, because they, if we're honest, they don't believe you. If that that was on, if that was on BBC homepage tomorrow morning, they'd probably remove them. It really triggers people as well. Like, I think... I was looking through some hate comments that we got this morning from on YouTube just for a for a video where we read them out. Um, and the, a significant majority of them are about soy. People right. getting annoyed that I said in one of the videos that I choose not to eat soy because of the data that I've seen and show a few studies. Like there seems to be this conspiracy of people working for big soy. Big soy. Wanting everyone to eat soy. The big soy farmer. Yeah. So there we go. I think that yeah. So the I, like I would. This, I suppose there's some things off the back of you explaining that to me. There's a few things that I've changed. Becca regularly gets edamame beans. If we ever go to Wagamama's, she'll get edamame beans. Up until you telling me that, I'd be like, "Ooh, edamame beans!" And they're like, they've got like chili salt on them. They're yeah, quite they're, nice. They're lovely. They're delicious. Um, and they are often in like they're in like some sushi stuff. Some like. Yeah, they're in quite a few dishes, and as you say, like they, they they're just, in all they the prep salads. Yeah, all that so kind I, of stuff. I do try and avoid them, but like if I bought something and found that there was edamame beans in, I probably would still eat it. Um, the second thing I've changed is to not microwave things in plastics. So like, that's, I mean, that's a really high yield and like totally unnecessary thing to do as well. Like. okay fine like if you were i guess if you work in a hospital and there's no crockery around and you've just got like a ready meal and you have to heat it up somehow you're kind of stuck Mm. but it's just such a easy win i feel like there'll be a lot of people listening who microwave things in plastic and then eat it like if you're gonna have soup for example or a ready meal Mm. because i know you like take the ready meal out put it in the put it in like a, a regular bowl or like a pyrex bowl and then microwave it right it's a nicer experience as well. You don't want to eat something out of like a, a semi-melted plastic container anyway. Just get some Pyrex Tupperware from Ikea. Yeah. I, I remember ages ago you telling me like the... There was a figure you said, it was maybe a percentage or of like how much of an impact the, the heated plastic had, like versus like oh, yeah, it's, it being in plastic it, but not heated versus it being... It's geometrically. So there's hundreds of... Hundredfold higher, basically, of the estrogens in the plastic seep into your food, and even more so if it's acidic. So, have you ever had something tomatoey in Tupperware, and you can't get the red stain out? Yeah. So that's because the acidity in the tomato will um, kind of blur the the le- the outer layer of the plastic and integrate with it. So you get this bilateral seepage of tomato into the plastic and plastic into the tomato. And even more so if it's heated or if it's in the sun. So, haven't they found like? Have you seen the film Dark Waters? Dark Water. No, it's on my list. I feel like you should. Well, it's just going to feed the like conspiracy theory theorists yeah. in you, though. <laughs> but um, they, it's it's about like a compound that's used in um, a chemical plant that gets found in people who live near the chemical plant. I think it was used on like non-stick surfaces, so, like non-stick pans and Teflon. Mm. I think. Um, but have they not started finding like microplastics and things in humans now, in like yeah. people's blood or lungs or something, or in their lungs from from masks? I mean, that's yeah, like that's kind of expected as well. It's just yeah, and we we don't know what the impact of that's going to be in twenty thirty years time. I imagine some form of silicosis equivalent, um, which is the fibrosis of the of the lung tissue. It's really not great to have, but. Yeah, we'll we'll see. 
Never mind. We're just loading ourselves with plastics over the years. The I mean, the other thing to avoid, and this is a shame, because tea pigs, tea that has that kind of really silky, nice pyramid bag full of microplastics, <laughs> laden with them, ridden. <laughs> so that, is that is that still an estrogen problem, or is that something else? That's estrogen, yeah. So, and receipts. <laughs> Receipts probably bad, but not not high on the list. I like to rub my receipts on Yusuf. To, it really upsets me. Just to, yeah, just to make him happy. Um, and then drinking, and then water, all water. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous because you go like, oh, tap water, high concentrations of estrogen, right? I'll get bottled water. Oh, wait, no, okay, I'll just drink milk. Oh no, I can't do that. So. <laughs> You have to just get like a metal reverse osmosis and charcoal filter to eliminate. What about like water. a Brita or like a water filter jug? Not effective. <laughs> it's about like forty to fifty percent effective. <laughs> so okay, so but it's better than not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> But this is, it, it's so ubiquitous. It's, it's, I mean, I did a podcast with a guy called Passer Langhouse about this, but it's, it feels ridiculous because they, it's so everywhere. It's that you have to just, so omnipresent, you have to just kind of pick your battles, which I think as you've done is very sensible, you know, not, not adding more estrogen into your life unnecessarily by microwaving plastic, not like drinking shower gel and, covering yourself in fragranced things mm. and you know like things like scented dishes absolutely gratuitous like no one needs <laughs> their dishes to smell of apple and pine so or like cherry blossom i think i feel the same way about i hope this doesn't get us like banned off platforms but all the, like the anti-vaccine stuff you know, and everyone was like, "Oh fuck!" Like everyone who has the vaccine is going to die. Mm. It's like, well, let's so like let's like let's play that out. Let's say that's true and that happens. Like the people who haven't had the vaccine who are still alive are still fucked because like a huge chunk of the population are now dead. Like someone's got to go specifically all healthcare workers. Yeah, it's like someone, but it's even more basic, like people got to operate power stations, for example. So like, let's say power stations stop working, but you're at home, you haven't had your vaccine, everything everything's great still massive problems like world-ending problems so like it is the so i feel the same way about <laughs> estrogen and what i mean by that is like let's say as you say it's everywhere and we're all just going to develop all these health concerns and problems like i either completely modify my life to remove all estrogen from my life now and i'm the only person in 30 years time who hasn't developed the health concerns like i'm still going to face loads of problems anyway because you're like the only fertile man left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll, like, in comparison to everyone else, you'll have so much more lean body mass. But what am so I going to do with it? Well, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, because what I imagine, what's the end game here? Like, we're all going to, it's just going to be like, um, the end of the human race. The Handmaid's Tale. Have you seen that? Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I, yeah, you, you know the know premise. The yeah, it's a difficult one. So it's going to, in, in about 20, what you're saying is definitely, in your medical opinion, that it's going to be the Hard Maiden's Tale. Because <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. And you haven't even denied it. So that's, that's what's going to happen. That's it. Finally. Thanks for the questions. Who has. <laughs> So this is what happens. You ask us a question about pizza and somehow we finish by talking about the end of the human race and the handmaid's tale. God, yeah. How did we get there? Um, Don't know. Liz has asked us the following. Poor Chris with his turgid forearms. I do feel for him because actually, now you've said it, I would say turgid is the term that encapsulates perimenopause better than anything else I can think of. Not uniformly, but periodically turgid. That is, that is perimenopause. I'm assuming that menopause goes to more consistently turgid. So I look forward to an Achilles injury to add to my list. Um, but I would say, here's one for you to think about. 
if you come down from the Achilles, it's actually um, the plantar fascia that is the, I would say, hallmark of middle age concern. You know that you're middle age when you reach the point where you're concerned about your plantar fascia all the time and you consider buying sketches. Anyway, you guys got that to look forward to. <laughs> Great episode. Catch you soon. There's no question there, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> more of a comment it was of being consistently turgid yeah it's a real it sounds like a real plight of perimenopause and we have got that to look forward to <laughs> it is defined as um either swollen and distended or congested for example a turgid and fast-moving river or tediously pompous or bombastic so <laughs> Some turgid verses on the death of Prince Albert. That's more in a in a language language or style. So it can be used to describe like a sentence or language or Chris's forearms. Both of those That's definition three are valid. Yeah, look at Chris Williamson's forearms. So much surface tension. It's like you know, um, you know those things that um, you used to be able to buy from like corner shops, which is like a tube that's sort of a, a, a tube that's sort of like folded in and of, in and of, its, of itself. And when you try Infinity to grab it, tube. Yeah. yeah. when you touch those, there's, so, there's like a level of tension to them that like you squeeze them and the pressure just has to go elsewhere because there's, there's so much water and they're overfilled. That's what Chris's forearms are like. <laughs> He's maybe perimenopausal and doesn't know it yet. Yeah. I hope not. Me too. But the, the planter, do you remember we did a April Fool's article about planter, oh, the planter yeah, fascia? It was planter absorption of Bombay mix. <laughs> I mean, what? You just thought of that completely on your own. So, yeah, I think we, 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 it became a kind of annual tradition to just write an article on April Fool's Day that was more and more ridiculous. But that was, I feel like, decent. I feel like the Labim people, probably somewhere who put Bombay mix. So the article was recommending that you put Bombay mix in your socks because the plantar fascia could, could absorb the nutrients in the Bombay mix better than anywhere else, like better than eating it, etc. Such a weird thing that like, it almost one of those things you think this is too ridiculous for someone to have made this up. There must be some thread of truth here. So the sales of Bombay mix, people adding to cart on Amazon, like because we've evolved from plants and plants absorb their nutrients through the roots, um, we have a similar mechanism that is a vestige of this development pathway. And Bombay mix is actually very high in phytonutrients. Therefore, put it in your socks. Because the, the thing is, is that even just in this episode, we've gone from saying, like, don't touch receipts or drink water because there's estrogen in it. If you've not heard that before, sounds like bullshit. Yeah. To saying, oh, we once wrote this article that was completely ridiculous that was saying, put Bombay Sapphire mix in your socks. We discussed on this, uh, the Paso Langhouse podcast as well, which is that because it seems so tinfoil hat, and because I'm fortunate enough to be able to put doctor in front of my name and put my stamp on it, that it makes it somewhat more credible, but then also you run the risk of just being dismissed as a quack it's probably the only time that me and alex jones have any kind of overlap in opinion of anything someone did a really in-depth documentary about the turning turning the frogs gay claim turning the frogs gay oh see so this is a very this is the trope the kind of the the thing that's been memed a lot by alex you know who alex jones is mm -hmm. very angry red-faced american pundit mm -hmm. so he has been kind of clipped and memed for shouting like they're turning the frogs gay okay. and everyone everyone was like that's a ridiculous thing to say some guy went on like a long like six month rabbit hole journey to identify the root of where turning the frogs gay came from and it was probably something similar to this dark waters thing where a manufacturing company for some kind of industrial additive was a hormone disruptor it was leaking into the the nearby river frogs were developing intersex traits were changing their um, sexual behavior 
And so he then like traced it back to the scientist who ran, who published the paper on it. He was a scientist who was commissioned by the company to try and disprove that it was causing any problem to the local ecology. He was then cancelled, basically, because the results of his study was contrary to what the company wanted. So the company fired him, tried to ruin his marriage, tried to like discredit him as a scientist. And it, it just gets deeper and deeper. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I wonder whether it's the same thing. The dark dark waters thing. Because it's a true it might be loosely based on it. It's yeah. based on truth, I think. <laughs> um But that sounds that sounds great. The thing that um what I feel like I'm in an airlock. So have you seen The Martian? No. <laughs> okay. Um, so I feel like I'm in a I'm in like a habitat where there's like managed environment and water supply and all these sorts of things. And any any of the number of things could go wrong that I need to do something about. But there's an alarm system set up so that if any of any of them go wrong, I get told by the alarm and I just I, I'll go change that. Whatever you tell me, that's my alarm system. So <laughs> if you're like, you'll text me and say don't put things in the microwave. I'll be like, okay. Like you, you're reaching for the Tupperware and there's an alarm. <laughs> and like, Whoa, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that the problem is, is that the problem that you have is that because you're very aware of it, it probably creates a level of stress and anxiety for you that like is in and of itself unhealthy. Yeah. So I, I think in one of the, in the aura ring video, I mentioned that worrying about your cortisol is going to raise your cortisol. Yeah. That's the sad irony of it, isn't it? So like, that's where the, it's all a mindset, bro, kind of comes in true that if you just fully live life by the seat of your pants, maybe you'll be okay, which is Chris Williamson. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the, it's the He's man. He's unplugged his alarm. He's put a condom over the smoke alarm. Just, did he not do that once? Exactly that. Oh, maybe. But I would, there we go. This yeah. Typical it, the behavior. Fact, the fact that we're not sure whether or not that's something you've made up or whether that's something that he did recently suggests, speaks to his character. Um, the the man in the Metro Center, like, have I told that story in the podcast? I don't think so. The guy who like served Becca and I, who was just like, just worked in a clothes shop. Oh, was yeah. Just, I think like, you did. Buzzing. He, it was like late on a Thursday night. It was... And he was just like so happy to be there. He was so positive and happy with every customer. And he was like, oh, I've worked here for 15 years and I can tell you all the stuff that used to be in the Metro Center. And just loved, fucking loved it. And I thought like, here I am doing all my like journaling and meditation and self-development and still probably have more baseline anxiety than him. And he, I assume, like I, I'm, I suppose I'm overlaying a lot of things onto him, but I assume he doesn't do those things. Maybe he does, and maybe that's why he feels like that. But I feel like there's there's that contrast, isn't there, of like the person who like wakes up at five a.m. to do their two-hour morning routine and worries about that they're doing it right, versus the person who just like wakes up at half eight and has a coffee and gets on with their day. Like who's <laughs> what's the like who's net, winning net? Yeah, yeah. It's the when we went to see Eric Helms a few years ago, and he was talking about people doing really convoluted diets with very complex carb cycling approaches and nutrient management and all this kind of stuff. And he was like, basically, they'll be getting results. But what it is, is as if they're running around a room multiple times doing a special rain dance and then walking through the door. <laughs> and they conclude that, oh, well, I only got through the door because I did all the special rain dance and running around in that particular combination. I had to run around counterclockwise. And, then, and he's like, but actually you can just walk through the door and you'll be fine. Yeah. It's and then you've got like Dave Asprey who's like doing a chant, singing a song, writing a book, running around five times and then walking through the door. And, and everyone goes, oh wow, it got it was results. A chant. Yeah. So on that note, thank you for your speak pipes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what Yusuf calls voice notes. That's the software that we use to <laughs> <laughs> calls them text packages when you send them a, an email and speak pipes when you send them a voice note no that's yeah, the software very... that we use to um to receive the voice note so please for god's sake send us one so that he'll continue 
being happy about it. That would be very nice. Speak to you soon. Bye. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propinfitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels. The best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.